Welcome back. This episode is brought to you as always by Laura Lee Smith. You know, we had gotten to a point in our lives where we just figured we were going to live in rental properties the rest of our lives. And that's just the way it was going to be. And we were happy with that until we met Laura Lee Smith. And she found us our dream home for the price that we could afford and made the transition out of a rental property into that home seamless and painful. So if you're looking for a house in the Bryan College Station, Texas area, please give Laura Lee a call. You won't be let down. Her number is 979-218-2315. That's 979-218-2315. Okay, this episode was it was just an awesome conversation. I'm fired up. I got excited. I'm bubbly. You're going to hear it in my voice. Uh, it was just really fun to talk to somebody that is so inspirational. His name is Sam Coonert, and he is the founder of Nubability Athletics. It's a camp for kids with missing limbs for whatever reason, and he teaches them how to play sports and just really gives them confidence, builds them up, and he's also an inspirational speaker, and you can, you're going to see why after you listen to this podcast. So please, without any further delay, let's welcome Sam Cooner. Okay, we're recording. Awesome, awesome. Man, Sam, I can't tell you how appreciative I am of you being on, man. This is awesome. Uh, I was telling you just before we started that I actually, my wife showed me that video and I didn't realize it was your video and I scrolled down through the rest of it and saw that you help kids play sports with uh, like missing limbs for whatever reason and that's kind of a near and dear, I told you in the message like, uh, I asked a guy to be on the podcast that lost a limb in combat and, you know, serving the country. And he's just become one of my better friends. Like, it's just so cool. So I, w- I was like, oh, this guy would be fun to talk to. And then I didn't even realize you didn't have a hand. <laughs> or that, you know, I see all these baseball pictures and you're bench pressing. I'm like, oh, yeah. And just skipped right over it because it looks so natural. So, um, <laughs> man, I guess take us to the beginning of, uh, like, you were telling me stories about how you almost died. I mean, whatever you want to share first. Uh, that I think we should start there. Like, how did you almost die? So back in 2011, after I had achieved my dream of uh, playing college baseball, uh, I mysteriously got ill. Um, I just went to Game Six of the World Series to watch my best team or my favorite team, the St. Louis Cardinals, play with my granddaddy, and you know just really had was enjoying life was on you know cloud nine everything was going right you know if a baseball player gets to go to the world series that's <laughs> you know that that's like the cream of the crop you know that's that's your that's your dream is to be able to wit well your dream is to play in it but you know if you can't play in it to watch it and be there is just insane and experienced one of the most insane games ever in the 2011 world series where the cardinals came back from behind to beat the texas rangers and you know i was had riding such a high that i was like you know even though I don't have tickets for tomorrow's game, I was like, I'm coming back. I just want to be in the city. I want to be in this atmosphere. I want to see this celebration. And I mean, I'm talking people fender bendering each other, just saying, "Go Cards!" You know, <laughs> I mean, it was it was it was such a crazy atmosphere. Uh, you know, kid, like probably 19 year old kids drinking right next to cops and cheers in them. I mean, it was it was something that you know you would never ever see before, and. Uh, that next day, though, I woke up in my dorm room and I wasn't feeling quite right. Like I, I was really dizzy and nauseous. And 
it's just like, you know, at first I thought, oh, maybe you got food poisoning, you know, and so I just kind of laid there and uh, slept through it and woke up the next, like, next time I woke up, I was running 103 degree fever, so I did what any college kid would do, I called my mom, <laughs> and I was, like, <laughs> I was like, mom, I'm not feeling very good, uh, something's not right, I said, can you, uh, can you diagnose these symptoms, and I tell her what, and she's like, well, what's your fever, I'm like, it's at 103, she said, all right, I'm on my way, I'm coming to get you. And so she drove the hour and a half to my school to come and get me, brought me back home. Next day, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I'm eating stuff. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, it was just a 24-hour bug, you know. And But just to be uh, out of precaution, she's like, I want you to stay home just one more night. We just want to make sure that nothing's, you know, dormant and going to come to life, you know. Well, that next day, I woke up, and I couldn't pick myself up on the couch. Uh, I couldn't lift my head up. I couldn't do anything. Like I was so weak and so dehydrated. And just it was just insane. Like my dad had to carry his six five, two hundred twenty five pound son up a flight of stairs out to the car, uh, drive me to the hospital, which was like twenty minutes away from where we live. We get there and they're like, "Hey, we got to hospitalize this kid immediately. He's got a dangerously enlarged liver and spleen." You know, they hooked me up, did all this stuff. I'm running, at that point, I'm running about 104, 105 degree fever. Uh, ran 106 degrees for that whole first week. Uh, had hallucinations, the most the most violent shakes and chills. Like, it felt like someone was literally standing over me, grabbing hold of my shoulders and just shaking me. Like, it was, it was the most violent thing. It was kind of like those movies when you watch like, uh, like those horror movies, whenever you watch like exorcisms and stuff like that, it was like, it was like my body was just like shaking, man. It was, it was one of the scariest moments of my life. And, uh, I lost 20 pounds in that first week. So I would drop from 225 to 205 and in just that first week. And then, uh, you know, they're running tests on me. They're poking and prodding me so much. You would have thought I was Texas barbecue. I mean, they're trying to figure out. They're fig- trying to figure out how what's going on. You know, like what's this kid's symptoms? What's it matching up to? And so on day six in that hospital, they did something called a lymph node biopsy. And so they sent my lymph nodes off to St. Jude, Mayo Clinic, and all like the big hospitals. You know, because they're like something's wrong with this kid. We can't figure it out. We can't stop his fevers. We can't stop the nausea. We can't stop him losing weight. His, his liver, his organs, everything's starting to fail. You know, how does this kid go from the best shape of his life to this point? And uh, so, like, I'm laying there, and they're like, okay, we're going to ship you off to St. Louis University Hospital. Um, you're going to see all the big experts. You're going to go by ambulance. We're going to get you there immediately. We're going to have a room waiting for you. And when we get there, hopefully we'll have kind of results of the lymph node biopsy. So I get to St. Louis. We get up to my room. As soon as we start getting settled, my mom's phone rings. She answers the phone and drops to her knees crying. So instantly I know, man, this is not a good call. And then my dad, who's a big farm boy, he's a banker in town. He taught me, you know, to be a stone all my life. Never show emotion. Never show that anybody's getting to you. She whispers something to him and he hits his knees crying. That's when I knew, oh, crap. You know, it was like... This is not a good call. This is, this is about to be really bad. And uh, so they told me, they're like, hey, Sam, it's time to fight, bud. They're, they're, what we're about to tell you is going to be really scary, but we need you to fight. It was acute, multicentric, multilymphatic Castleman's disease. 
it's not cancer. I know that's a long one, man. I had to when I do motivational speaking things, I have to put it up there just so I remember what. <laughs> <laughs> One in two or two people in the U.S. are diagnosed with it every year, and it's a hundred percent fatal after a few weeks to a few months of being diagnosed. What? It's insane. And so, like, doctors. So now, all of a sudden, I'm the most interesting case at St. Louis University Hospital. So I have doctors coming and poking and prodding me some more, um, do looking for everything, doing strep tests. I took nine strep tests because one doctor was convinced that I had. Uh, or not strep, but mono test, and because one doctor was convinced that it was mono, I mean, like to the point where he would literally come in the room and say, it's mono, it's mono, no matter what, I know it's mono, and he had like this deep monotone type voice, <laughs> so it just made it even better, because <laughs> he didn't really have that, you know, that happy mood, he was like that negative doctor, you know, yeah. and uh, anyways, they're testing me, and they can't figure anything out, and by that time, I'm already I'm already down almost 40 pounds. Uh, everything's failing, you know. Everything's headed in the wrong way. Fever's still over 106 degrees. Nothing's working. No medicine's helping. Uh, at, by this time, my body is like the color yellow, like mustard like yellow. Jaundice. jaundice. Yeah, I mean it was insane. Like my eyes were jaundice. You could see every lymph node in my body. Um, it was, I mean, it was one of, I kind of looked hideous, man. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't winning any uh, <laughs> geniality contest at that time in my life. Uh, and, uh, but anyways, you know, I finally got the room to myself and my parents were kind of going through and I really got to thinking about my life and how I was living at the time and, you know, realized I'd hurt a lot of people and I, you know, I hadn't been living the best life, hadn't been being the best me that I could be. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a person of my faith. I'm very strong in my faith. And, you know, I wasn't being who God asked us to be in the Bible. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't being that loving guy who's out to serve others. I was looking to serve myself. And so I really got to thinking about it, you know, in the Bible, you know, the ultimate place to go is heaven uh, for Christians. And I really got to thinking, man, I don't think I'll go to heaven. I, I don't, I, I can't say that I've done enough in this life to really, make a difference and to reach those heights and uh you know i got to really thinking about that and i looked at my phone and i saw all the people i'd done wrong and you know i did what kids my age do i started instead of calling them you know i was too weak to talk on the phone i started texting everybody i'd done wrong to and just started shooting them texts and apologizing you know asking for their forgiveness because i mean the way i saw it is you know i'm probably going to be dead pretty soon you know and so I, i wanted to wanted to really make up for it and have those reparations and have everything put into place where, you know, if, if I don't make it, that possibly I can make it up, you know, and I'm, uh, I'm laying there in that bed. And after that, you know, after making all those reparations, I remember just laying there and I started talking to God and, you know, I hadn't done that in almost a year at that time. Like I never stopped believing, but I never like, took that serious relationship where I talked to him like I was a friend and I basically I told him I was like God I I thank you so much for this opportunity for this life that you've given me for the blessing you've given me for the families for allowing me to achieve my dream uh, for putting all these people in my path for giving me the vision of nubability but and and I thank you for everything and if this is my time to go I understand and I'm just so thankful for the life you've given me but 
if you give me a second chance, I promise to live for you and live to serve others. And, and I'll, I'll always be faithful. And so the next day I wake up worst numbers possible, like absolute worst numbers possible. Like this kid's fading, you know, they have preachers and, and, uh, different religious guys coming in and really praying over me and praying basically, you know, my last rides trying to get me oh, man. ready to go. And, I was on a, a something called a corporate prayer, which is where like several prayers or several churches come together and pray at the same time um, across the country. And there was there was in 30 different states and three other countries due to my uh, my college that I was at at the time and having different foreign kids there who I'd kind of gotten close with. And uh, so the next day I woke up normal. No way. Normal. 100% normal. Like, still still 40 pounds down, so I mean, I didn't look normal, but the jaundice was faded away, I was pink, I didn't have a fever, I had an appetite, I could stand on my own, I'm talking as normal as someone could be for being on their deathbed. The doctors, they tested me several more times, they had me take a mono test, they had me take everything, nothing came back positive, everything, you know, they had no explanation. And then the thing just, it just went away. It just went away. Wow. It, it seriously went away. And that's when, you know, when I woke up that next day and I felt normal, that's when I realized, you know, God's got this purpose for my life. And I, you know, I, I owe it to him now. You know, my dad always told me, when you give somebody your word, you keep it no matter what. And I gave God my word. And so now I'm keeping it no matter what. And I knew that when I gave him that word, it was to serve those kids and to really get those kids to accept themselves as created perfectly and show them they can do whatever they, whatever they put their mind to. And so I began recruiting a coaching staff for our very first camp and reaching out to um, other college athletes who had kind of reached out to me via social media who were limb different as well and kind of told them my mission for Novability, which was a camp that kids would not be, uh, not be coddled, not be, not you know, not have it taken easy on, but pushed, you know, pushed harder than they've ever been before by coaches who have been there, coaches who have, uh, have achieved at the highest level of mainstream sports to give these kids a mentor who looks like them so they have no excuses. And then to give them the knowledge that we've gained over the years at a young age so that they can even surpass us. And I told these coaches, these seven coaches that I reached out to, and all of them bought in immediately. And we had our first camp in 2012 and we had 19 kids and seven coaches and those were that was that was the first nobility camp and when that happened I knew it was what I was supposed to do with my life now I had no idea what the man upstairs had planned because now we're in seven different states and uh, our our summer camp grew to over 185 different kids and their and their uh, siblings and over 60 accomplished on different athletes as coaches. I mean, this is awesome. Insane. (laughs) Wow. And it all, it like, it all started from you being on your deathbed basically. And then you're like, yeah, it really did. In, uh, in 2010, I went to a camp for kids with limb differences and I saw, parents and people holding their kids back out of fear of failure. And I mean, you know, as anybody, you know, you have to fail. It's part of life. We, we don't grow if we don't fail. We can't learn if we don't fail. And uh, I just saw that, and, you know, and once I got kids away from their parents and saw their raw God given talent, you know, it gave me idea. 
of Nubability, but originally it started as like a social media thing to like help kids through social media, like, you know, posting different videos and me pitching or stuff that could help them out. Like I hadn't, and my plan was, you know, to do one camp. That was, that was Sam's plan. But Sam's plan is here. God's plan is there, you know? <laughs> and, and I mean, he just blew the doors off to everything. And I mean, it has been the most incredible journey of my life. I mean, it is, I, I thank him every day before I go to bed because of the position he's put me in. You know, I always say that my life's kind of like an airplane. You know, I'm sitting in the cockpit, but it's on autopilot. You know, I'm just, I'm just right. <laughs> People see me, but the plane's going without me, you know? Yeah. So how, like, how did you, how did you lose your limb? Or were you born that way? And also, did your, I, I'm assuming from the way you're talking, the way you grew up, your parents didn't coddle you at all. No, so my dad actually, like when I was four years old, threw me in the deep end of my pool and said, swim or drown, you know, he was that guy. That's awesome. I had, like I said, he was a farmer, you know, he pushed me whenever uh, whenever I was riding a bike, you know, I mean, as you can imagine, you know, holding a bike, handlebars can be a little difficult. Well, I never got to use training wheels, man. He he pushed me on it, <laughs> and then next thing you know, he pushed me down a hill and said, either crash, you know, crash or or turn, you know, I mean, dude, learn how to fall, learn how to absolutely. fall. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. It was, it, I mean, my parents were the most amazing. I mean, I cannot thank them because I wouldn't be who I am without them. They never let me use my window for an excuse. They never let me quit. They never let me say can't. I mean, they always pushed me to be the best person and the best athlete I could be. Um, as for your question, if I was born, I was born without my left hand. So I don't really know what it's called. I'm not, you know, I'm not the most uh, intelligent guy when it comes to that. Like everybody's saying amniotic band syndrome, all this other stuff at me. I just say, no, nah, I was born with a nub, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, remember, I remember doctors asking me, they're like, they're like, so what do you call your limb difference? I said, it's a nub. And they're like, no, no. What do you, what do you call it? I said, it's a nub. <laughs> and they're like, no, it's like, no. like, Amniotic bandrus syndrome, cyprodactyly, this one, this one. I'm like, man, I have no idea. You tell me. <laughs> it's just missing. Like, it's not there. Like, yeah, I have yeah, a hand on this one and no hand on this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, growing up, you know, I'd hear people, uh, whenever I'd try stuff, they'd be like, like, but you have one hand. I'm like, oh, really? I would have never known that, you know? If you hadn't informed me, I would have never put two and two together. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought everybody looked like this. Oh. <laughs> So, uh, I'm this is interesting, and I think part of the reason hearing you tell your story, you went to like different camps, and they coddled the kids, and I think that like one of the differences maybe between that is one like the way you grew up, all this different path that you know, like you said, your faith, everything that brings you to that point, the almost dying, and you're like. Hey, you're this, like, I did it. I went through all this stuff. You have to learn how to do all these things and have fun and quit counting on a, like, a crutch. Don't ever use it as a crutch is what I'm hearing, you know, you telling these kids. So getting something different and feeling independent for somebody who's been feeling dependent on something has got to be just an overwhelming sense of joy for somebody like that. Man, it, it is insane. Um, 
I can't even, it's a, it's a feeling that you can't really describe. Like when a child owns their difference and realizes, hey, there's nothing that can hold me back, that the only limits in my life are the limits that I set upon myself. And if I choose not to set limits, like Coach Sam and like all these other coaches of no ability, man, who knows where I'm going to reach. I mean, we had a kid win an ESPY. We had a camper who just signed to go play uh, uh, collegiate ball in the NCAA. You know, I mean, in collegiate basketball. And I mean, he we started off as a camper. We've had we've sent I think twenty to college sports since we started this. I mean, it's it's been the most insane ride because you know we're not a camp where we're just where we're uh, um, focusing on their limb difference as a crutch or as something that they have to overcome. We're giving them the same drills that collegiate camps put together because I'm a former uh, as long as as well as a college athlete. I also coached college baseball for two years as a pitching coach and strength and conditioning coach. And so these kids aren't getting program that's easy. They're getting programs that collegiate athletes go, the same collegiate athletes go through. All we do is show them how to adapt to the drills. You know, we don't adapt a sport to a kid. We adapt the kid to the sport. You know, that's, it drives me so nuts whenever you hear about people saying you need to change the sport for this and change the sport for that. No, you need to change the athlete. The athlete needs to adapt to the sport and be able to move on with the culture. Because that's that's being a human being. It's you can't have stuff given to you. I don't believe in participation trophies, which is why, it, <laughs> which is why at my camp, when the camp is complete, we give each kid as an award. We give them equipment for the sport that they focused on, so that they can go home and practice with it. Now that equipment is signed by their coaches and has inspirational messages, so that that kid can go back to it and again at times in struggle. But it's also right there, ready to use. If it's a basketball, they're ready to shoot hoops. If it's football, they can go out and throw and catch routes. If it's a baseball, they can go and hit it for all I care. But they have the equipment, so now they have no excuse. That So I, I told you I was going to tell you this story. And you have no, no left hand. And one of my favorite things was watching Jim Abbott. When I was playing Little League, was watching Jim Abbott play it. And I, he amazed me. He was one of my favorites because... I would watch over and over again how he would get his glove onto his other hand to field after he and he's playing professional bit like to me as a little kid watching this I am inspired amazed and think dude he's doing it with one hand that's incredible like and so I used to go let me see this is so this is the life of a limb different athlete who like idolizes Jim Abbott so I have a whole wall dedicated to him. Yes! That's perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, I had like Kids Sports Illustrated. He was in one with like a little comic strip one time I read. I mean, you may have that one too. I don't know. But it was just like, it. I used to go out and play. Me and my friend, we used to go out and play in the front yard and practice before games. We used to hold it on our fist and try to switch it over. We, we'd ha- But, you know, most of us are right-handed so we did have to go get a left-handed glove and then do it that way real quick. And, man, that's so difficult. Like, it's really hard to learn how to do that. But uh, it was just a, I, I thought I'd share that story because I'm like, I saw you pitching and go, oh, this is really cool. Because that meant a lot to me. It really inspired me. And, I, like, I told <clears throat> my friend James that was on who lost his leg, I told him, like, losing something like that, you think, oh, woe is me. And he has such a positive attitude about things that actually losing something inspired so many others. 
it's crazy. Like by pushing through that and being the positive human being and not letting it affect his life. And you can't even tell the dude doesn't have a leg when he walks around that he actually, it almost catapulted him and not saying that it's good that it happened, but his attitude about how it happened moving forward from that point inspires people just like Jim Abbott's just like seeing you pitch on the mound and running this camp, which is where I'm like, dude, this guy's doing some amazing things. Man, I'll tell you about this one drill that we do. You know, if you if you watch that video that went viral, um, what Tim was doing was he was overcoming his fear. He's overcoming his fear of falling on his face. So the biggest thing you can do for an athlete period is you know, address their fear at an early age. So let me tell you a drill that I do with my kids, and it's it's amazing on the baseball field. So first off, the first day, you know, some of them learn the, who don't know, they learn a glove transfer and they learn whatever's quickest for them. And so that's how, you know, they get the ball out of the glove or how they make the throw and uh, how they catch it if it's come back at them and make the throw. And uh, so a drill I do is I have this industrial size bounce back net. It's like nine feet by six feet. And like, it's like what colleges use for their drills. So I start the kids out and these are kids ages anywhere from 10 to 17. Um, with our, you know, our four-year-olds throw on the other side, but I start the older kids out with, from about 90 feet away, throw it as hard as you can against the balance back net, get your glove back on, field it. After each throw, we move up five feet <laughs> until, we're, until we're within 10, until my kids are within 10 feet of this net, throwing as hard as they can and fielding their glove transfer. Because it's all mental, man. The entire game of baseball, especially for when different athletes, you know, you just... Everybody wants to think about the failure rather than the positivity and think about the success before before it happens, you know, or not think about the success. You know, they think immediately, you know, it's impossible, whereas we get it, get them going so fast that they don't have that time to think. And so they actually get to see what they can do really quick. And I mean, we have it on video, kids just dialing in and just going all the way from 10 feet away and fielding these baseballs. That's crazy. It's so awesome because I don't know that I can do that. Like it, you see, it's it, it's all mental. See, you already said it. I don't know if I can do that. No, you I mean, caught me. <laughs> yes, you did. And I'm used. And and I am the one that's like always. I mean, you can even ask my wife. It's like, no, no, no. We can do this. No, no, no. We can do this. I mean, we just had an incident with a a refrigerator where it fell over in the back of our truck. We just bought a brand new fridge and it fell over. The handles dented into the thing. It's like. No, this is our first fridge we've ever bought brand new. And I'm like, nope, we, I can fix these handles. I can fix them. I can do this. Like, I'm going to figure it out. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's me. And I, you caught me even saying I can't do it right now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know if I can do it. I think I'm just so amazed at what the human body and mind can adapt to. Absolutely. And that's, and that's the biggest thing about um, limb different athletes and stuff like that is you know, in athletes in general, the mentality is so much more important than the physicality. You know, if you're beaten up here, then you're already beat out here. So you have to, you have to, you have to win up here before you can win out there. And I mean, that's that's with any drill. That's with the bench press. That's why I'm not terrified to balance 305 on there, you know, because one day I got underneath that bench, I put on a 45 on each side and I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it like other people do it. I said, I'm tired of using a Smith machine. I'm tired of trying to use attachments. I'll never use a prosthetic because, you know, I, God didn't make me with prosthetic. I want, I want to, I want to use everything that I've already been created to, 
to to do everything and adapt my body to it, you know. And I mean, I started off with a 45 on each side two years ago. It was the first time I ever bench pressed, and now I can do up to 320. Two years ago. <laughs> two years ago. Oh my goodness. Was the first time I had ever like I, I'd done dumbbell bench presses and stuff like that. But as for regular bench press without using a Smith machine, I had never done it. And so two years ago, you know, I just saw, I I saw people doing it, and you know, I I really felt confident in my ability to be able to balance it because what it does is whenever it sits on this nub, the nub kind of creates like a suction to it, and so like this is all callus right here. I mean, I don't know if you can really see it. That's a uh, yeah, big power. Yeah, I can kind of so, see it. Yeah. So when it sits in there, it kind of rests in there. And I always use the bar that has kind of more of like the diamond grips on it. So it has like the little bit of stuff that like sticks in your hand, you know, leaves it imprints. And I'm gripping that bar so hard. So I'm already even losing some strength because of how hard I'm gripping that bar. So whenever I come up, I'm keeping it balanced. Dude, that's awesome. I mean, I can't believe that that video didn't go viral because I watched it and I still didn't know you didn't have a hand. You're so smooth with it, and I'm like, oh, that 305, that's a, that's a lot of weight, man. That's a big bench, but he doesn't have a hand. <laughs> what is this going on in this page? So, I mean, I guess I kind of want to go and talk about this viral video that I had no idea was a viral video um, beforehand because it really is a super special video. I mean, it just makes you smile. Is all it does. It makes you smile because you feel... F- you're cheering for this kid. Like, his intensity on his face, it's not like... He's, like, determined. There's determination and intensity and fear and just, like, all these emotions are running through him in the lead-up to this moment. And it's like, you've got basically an entire movie in this kid's emotions before he jumps on this box. Absolutely. And, I mean... and. That video explains the nubability coaching mentality better than I ever could. If you see that coach pounding on that box and said, do it, do it, believe in yourself, do it, you can, don't give an excuse, do it right now. You know, you hear her say right now, get on this box right now. And I mean, you see him try and miss, try and miss, keep going, don't give up, get on this box right now, try, almost gets it, keep going. Don't give up. Get on this box right now. And then he jumps up and you just see him erupt. Yeah, he you like know? he's emotional. He's crying. He gives her a hug. Like the first thing he do is runs to that coach to give her a hug. You oh, know? Yeah. And that was like it's like, oh man, this is it's a crazy goal because you think about the balance and not having any arms and and right. all of the different things that are going on with him. And then he was not committed, not committed, not committed. Sort of committed, dipping a toe in, but like not committed. And then he's like, this is something you just have to commit. And the coaches were not coddling him. They were like, get up here. It's amazing. Like when you watch it, you go, well, I have no excuses. Like I have zero anymore. I have zero excuses. You know what? I need to go out and do something right now to make up for all the excuses I made before on why I didn't do something. Absolutely. I mean, that's what... If there's a video that could ever inspire you, it's that one. And what's crazy, and this is this is just what kind of blows my mind with everything that happens. That's just one of the hundreds of moments that take place at the camp. Yeah, that are like that. I mean, 
we teach kids who have never played baseball, never touched a baseball, how to throw and catch a ball in a faster time than it takes people with both limbs because they see the coaches out there doing it, they find our way, and next thing you know, they're repeating it. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Same thing with football and basketball. You know, our kids leave the camp better physically, absolutely, but the mentality that we give them is bar none. I mean, we give them that no excuse that no excuse keep grinding always willing to work work twice as hard to get on the field three times as hard to surpass your competition mentality because they have to you know whenever you're born with a limb difference you're automatically born off balance so you have to work twice as hard just to get just to get to the the area that your uh, peers are at and you have to work three times as hard to pass them so i always tell my kids like i was always that kid that when the coach is giving that game speech or practice speech to his team and he's saying there's a kid across town who's out working you i was that kid i was that kid who left practice went home grabbed a quick bite to eat and i was back out until dark and i didn't stop and you know i would i would line up coke cans and uh gatorade bottles and stuff on my dumpster and i wouldn't go inside until i nailed every single one with a pitch you know, every pitch had to hit it, and I had to hit them all in a row. If I didn't hit them all in a row, I started over again. So, I mean, there were some nights where I'd throw probably 200, 300 pitches in a night, but I never stopped because I had a passion to prove all the people who doubted me wrong, especially the coaches in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade who cut me, uh, my my uh, pitching coach in high school that whenever I came to him and I was throwing hard and I was uh, one of the key relievers, that, the key relief pitchers at a junior – and I came to him, I said, hey, coach, uh, I think I got college baseball. What do I need to work on? How, what do I need to get better? You know, I'm throwing the ball pretty hard. And he goes, you know, you're throwing the ball pretty hard, but there's not very many one-handed baseball players in college baseball. And I think these are your last four years. But I had already developed that mentality at that time that, okay, you know, now I'm going to prove you wrong. So whenever I signed my letter of intent to play college baseball and I had to pick the people for my signing picture, he was one of the first people I picked. So now he <laughs> forever knows that – the one-handed baseball player who was supposed to be done proved him wrong. Is that part of like? Is that part of what drives you a lot in a lot of things? Is not only not just the love of the sport, but the love of proving people wrong. Like you said, I can't, and I can. Like, don't tell me I can't. Man, it is, it is infectious. It's so infectious that I carried it on through inevitability and the fact that if my kids say can't, I can't. They got fifty push-ups. Oh, you know. So- that's awesome. like, 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 like we full on punishment. You know, if, if some of the coaches are making them run, some of the coaches are making them do other drills, but like can't is outlawed at our camp. And we have a, we have a sign on our door every year at camp that says, leave your excuses here. That's beautiful. Dude. You know, cause it's, cause it's, it's not, a, like I said, it's not a coddle. It's not a self-help group. It's not a support group. This is a sports camp. This is a camp like any college kid or any high school kid's going to go to for a college. We're going to push these kids to be better than they ever thought they were, and we're going to keep driving them to reach that potential even when they don't like it. You know, we're always going to push them because we, as the coaches, believe in them. We see it. We've been there. We know what it takes. We know what it takes to own your difference. And I mean, that takes time. That takes a lot of confidence. That takes a lot of work. But once a kid owns a difference, you know, maybe not every kid's going to end up playing college sports. But who, who's to say we don't have that next open heart surgeon who has to who has to uh, do a, a very risky procedure that most surgeons are afraid of. But they have that mentality of 
I can do it. You know, there's nothing stopping me. I can do this. I, I, I can do anything I put my mind to. And then they go and save lives, you know, or um, cure cancer, whatever. You know, everybody, uh, if, the, if everybody would own their differences in this world, because, I mean, we're all different. I mean, you and I are different. You know, we have different eyes, different different hands, different faces, different mindsets. Everybody has a difference. But, you know, our differences aren't what defines us. What defines us is how we how we react to every situation thrown our way, how we react to the adversity thrown our way. Do we take it and, and you know, lie down or do we fight it and prove people wrong? You know, it busts through the adversity. Like, you know, Tim was facing an adversity there. Box jumps, period, for athletes are risky. Man. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I have – I've – you know, skinned up my shins, twisted ankles, done all kinds of stuff on box jumps uh, throughout the years. And for him, you I mean you think for us, even me, you know, I have a nub and a hand that can catch me if I fall forward. He has nothing. So you know, if he falls forward, it's his face. It's his face. Essentially, he's essentially risking injury. He's risking. It. He sees that adversity, and instead of lying down there he, for thirty minutes, so that video was like. Obviously, like the last few minutes uh, or the last few seconds of it, but for 30 minutes, those coaches pushed him to jump on that box, and he never gave up. I think that's and that's one thing too. You don't get to see in these videos, but I looked at some of your like some of your posts, and you see like the kid playing quarterback with no legs at all. Like he's two prosthetics. You know, that's a lot of footwork that goes into that, and he's that's crazy. I mean, seeing that in person has to be, like, just one of the most insane things ever. You know what I mean? But I guess leading up to that and him and did he train for these box jumps and is this a goal that he set or was this something you just walked in one day and you're like, okay, this is on the agenda. This is what's going to happen. Man, so Tim Tim has been at our sports camp now, I want to say, for six or seven years. Um, He's 14 now and – he had tried various sports, you know, he tried volleyball for a while, and, and then he last year he chose strength and conditioning, and he seemed to really like it, but last year we didn't push him to do a box jump, you know, we didn't try that, and so when I brought in a new strength and conditioning coach, part of his program for his focus kids, which he had, had two kids who really set their focus on strength and conditioning, but he um, did programs for throughout the camp for all the sports for our varsity kids so that they could really um, learn the tools that they needed or their sport that they're going to be playing. Um, but, t- you know, he on the agenda he had box jumps. And, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure Tim was terrified from the moment he knew that there was going to be a box jump. You know, they started him off with plates, I believe, and then next thing you know they got him up to a 20-inch box. And like you saw, you know, that that's terrifying. I mean, it even though it's 20 inches, you know, and it doesn't seem that high, man, like I said, you could, you could jump a foot box and – easily injure yourself you know and i mean he's got basically essentially nothing keeping him back i mean obviously those coaches can catch him for sure but if you're an athlete and you're in that mindset of i got to do this myself you're not thinking that coach is going to catch me you're thinking i'm going to fall in my face or i'm going to make it on this box yeah you know and yeah actually he's had the other thing aside and he's like no i'm going to make it on this box yeah so do you train with kids like do you build them up Let's say a kid comes to your camp, has almost no sports experience. They've been called like coddled and told you can't play these sports because you don't have this lamb or um, maybe like they never made a sports team or they're just a, in their mind. They're like, 
I really want to, but I'm not like them. And their parents are trying to push them to do something, to get outside and to play and to have like that normal life, you know, and confidence and building all those sort of things. Where do you start with a kid like that when they come to your camp? Push them hard, man. You push, you push them hard. First, first step is get them away from mom and dad. And so that's why at, at, our, at our camps we have the policy of parents aren't allowed on the field because we don't want – or in the dugouts or anywhere because we don't want the coach – we don't want our coaching to be uh, watered down by parent comments. You know, we don't want – you want kids to be double coached while they're at this camp because, you know, these coaches are giving the most valuable thing a person could give, which is their time. And then they're, they're there to give these kids those tools to really excel and succeed. And so when you have a kid like that who needs that extra pushing, we push them. You know, we push every single one of them. You know, sometimes the kids cry. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes they cry. But by I guarantee you by that Sunday, every single one of those kids have their nubs in the air. They're proud of who they are. They're loving life. They're owning their difference. And they're ready to take on the world. But first, you have to break down the walls. You know, you have to break down the walls like you would break down an athlete. You break it down, then you build it back up. And so we break down the parts that we need to break down, and then we build them back up. So for those older athletes, you know, that uh, even if they would never played baseball before, they're still going to go through the strength and conditioning programs. They're still going to do everything it takes to be an athlete because once they decide up here that they can do it, once they get that mentality, man, sky's the limit. Yeah, and I'm thinking about the effects it has on their life in general. Like, just you were talking about heart surgery, but I'm talking like little minor details and the the things that it gives them of um, just going to do a job or opening their own business. Or that, Tim, could he be a strength and conditioning coach in the future and coach people to be strong athletic individuals? You know what I mean? There's also... now, after jumping on that box, the sky's the limit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, his – so this is probably Tim's fourth or fifth time going viral in his life because Tim is one of those rare congenital cases where his mother also has the same limb difference. Really? Yeah, so his mother is also missing limbs. So they had like a TV series on Facebook and um, different uh, social medias. I mean, they're – this, they were so calm and collective whenever I called them about, you know, Good Morning America and everything. Like, I'm over here, like, panicking and crying and, you know, just so so pumped. And they're just like, yeah, it's okay. Just send us their contact info. And I'm like, I'm like, been here before. She's like, well, we have, like, four or five times, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's like, I mean, it, it's kind of funny, but in the same sort of way, like, what you do to kids and you're like, no, we got this. That's, they've already dealt with it. They're like, yeah, this is nothing, like. It's easy. Yeah. It's no big deal, you know? <laughs> so, like I'm, re- I'm reaching out and telling them, like, don't let Tim read the comments. Don't, they're like, Sam, we've got this. I'm like, all right, you know? Do you yeah, have... I mean, there, there are some people out there that are just, you know, scumbags, and they're, they're posting stuff to try and bring people down. I mean, some of the stuff they're saying about a 14-year-old kid is insane, and, you know, it makes me mad because I'm super protective, but I'm like, you know, you can't react because the good, the good has to outweigh the bad. And, I mean, that's the same thing with anything in life. You always have to look at the good over the bad. Yeah. If you can find one good thing from each situation, that's gratitude. That's where you can really find stuff to drive you. If you can pick out that one good thing to keep that optimism, to keep that positive attitude in your head, nothing can stop you. No, man, I totally agree. 100%. 
Did, do you ever have, like, so that guy that plays football for the Seahawks, I think he's still in the Seahawks, right? The, yes, sir. The cornerback. Does he, yep. Do you ever get people like him come talk to your camp, um, come through your camp, talk to kids, you know, show them videos, stuff like that, of people that have succeeded on that, sort, you know, like Jim Abbott and succeeded on yep. that kind of level? So uh, I've, I've emailed Jim Abbott for the first, like this past year, I actually got to email Jim Abbott for a little bit. I still haven't met him to this day, man. I'm hoping that that happens someday. Um, I'm, my, my dream is to play catch with him. Even, even though I tore my AC joint in college, like I'm like, I throw every year at my camp for the kids and I'm willing to throw play catch with Jim Abbott, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, and as for Shaquem, Shaquem Griffin is amazing. Um, He's super busy, you know, with his book coming out and with his NFL season, obviously. So he hasn't been able to make a camp yet, but he brought all of our kids out onto the football field of the last Seahawks preseason game during our Seattle camp last year uh, and talked to him, gave him, stayed like an hour after preseason. It went viral on ESPN with him meeting with our kids. And um, this year, then for the summer camp, he sent a video to him, you know, just wishing them luck, telling, you know, telling them to keep competing, keep pushing, you know, no matter what, listen to your coaches and really get that mentality of you can do it. And then uh, this year, him and Shaquille sent a video um, just talking about, you know, because we include siblings in our camp because the sibling is your practice dummy at home. You know, I mean, that's the, oh, that's the, one, that's the one who pushes you yeah. at home. So those siblings there so they can see what we're doing with their brother and sister so that they're able to push them after the camp ends, you know, and so uh, Shaquem and Shaquille sent a video, you know, telling those siblings, push, push each other, make each other work, you know, keep take take everything you learn home so that you guys can really not only get better um, together, but get to get, get better individually in your sports. Yeah, I love, I really like that idea of bringing the, you know, because you think it's all on that person, but then there's the people that have to deal with them on the daily basis. And mm-hmm. have to help them get improved. So you send something home with them that both sides benefit from, and then it also like gives them something to improve when you're not there. Absolutely, because I, you know, I'm the middle child. I have an older brother who looks like a Spartan warrior. He weighs like 175 pounds, can bench over 420. You know, anytime he wants to, he can just walk up off the street. Uh, you know, never taking a supplement in his life, and just goes in just destroys workouts like he's one of those freaks of nature as, as uh, some of my coaches call him thoroughbreds <laughs> and, and, you know he, and then I have a little brother who uh who's very similar in muscle stature you know he's not he's not shredded but like he's one of those guys who can eat whatever he wants and keep his eight pack and you know be happy with life and he's like six foot and he's always super athletic and so with the between the two of them I had some of the toughest competition whether it was out in the driveway with sports, you know, pitching, uh, trying to blow stuff past him, and football, taking some licks. You know, I my older brother gave me so many licks uh, that that were so hard that I knew I knew that if, I wasn't afraid of anybody once I got to high school football. You know, I was ready to take whatever it came, and I was a wide receiver. So I mean, it oh, was. Oh wow! <laughs> so I mean, it was. You know, you catch the ball, you're getting hit. For me, yeah. I loved it. I loved when somebody came to hit me because I was I wasn't that guy who was gonna try and juke and get out the way. I was that guy who lowered his shoulder and was gonna take on take on the hit that I could and try overpower the guy, you know. But uh, and that's all because of that toughness that my older brother gave me. You know, he also gave me that toughness so that 
whenever things weren't going right in my life, whether it was like with bullies or anything like that, I wasn't afraid of anybody. You know, I was never afraid. I mean, it always helped that I was six four, leaving eighth grade, and uh, you know, I was always one of the bigger guys in the school. But uh, you know, that mentality, that mental game, and the mental bullying is something that is you know hard to overcome. You know, I mean, to this day, I can recall every moment that I was bullied and remember everything that every everyone said I can name every single bully I ever had because that stuff sticks with you you know they say uh I remember when I was a kid what was it they used to say uh oh uh words what is it something about rocks oh sticks and stones yeah sticks and stones may break my bones but words never hurt me I don't believe in that man I think words are the most uh are like knives and they like leave scars in you you know after after every time they stab you doesn't matter if it's a little stab you always have a little scar. If you cut yourself just a little bit on your finger, you have a scar for the rest of your life. And I think that's the same way with bullying, you know, especially mental bullying, because it sticks with you. It's it's stuff that haunts you. It's stuff that you remember for the rest of your life, no matter where you're at. And even even now to this day where I've owned my difference and owned everything that happened, and I wouldn't take back anything I ever experienced, including being cut, including uh, having an entire team not shake my hand after a basketball game. What? You know? Yeah, man. I mean, I've, I've gone through the ringer. Um, no way. What? Why would? No. Why would they not do that though? That this this it, is like this is crazy. I was so I was and I was like in the middle of the line. You know, I wasn't at the front. I wasn't in the back. I was in the middle of the line, and we're going to shake our hand, shake hands after a basketball game uh, in sixth grade. Had a great game. Uh, as I'm walking through, you know, instead of shaking my hand, I hear, oh, don't touch me. Oh, that's gross, man. Don't touch it. Oh, get away from him, you know, the whole time. And the only person that shook my hand on that team was the coach. And then, like, no one from my team said anything. Now, I, I you know, I, I felt kind of alone. I felt like I was on an island that no night. No one you know, stuck up for you at all? Nobody said anything, man. Nobody, nobody said, man, we got your back. Don't listen to him. Nothing. Now, what I didn't know is that one of my best friends did hear it. And so two weeks later, when they faced him in an all-star baseball game, he beamed literally every single one of them. <laughs> yes. well, there was, there okay. was some sort of justice, but, I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, at the, I just wish at the time, you know, he wouldn't even have to do that if he would have just told me, hey, man, I got your back, you know. And uh, But him doing that still, I won't lie, it made me feel pretty good. Oh, I'm sure it did, man. <laughs> you know, friends stick up for each other. I'm a very, I'm a very loyal person to my friends and if somebody messes with my friends it, it hurts my feelings almost worse when it's my friends instead of me it's like you don't do that man you know you, you don't there's no reason for you to you know somebody somebody said something to one of my friends they're they're doing a, a competition right and somebody told him like why are you doing that if you're not going to be professional in it there's no point and right. and this is you know this is a higher level person and you're like dude don't tell my friend they're trying to do like they're trying to further themselves, be a better version, better human, and plus it's my friend. Like you don't do that to my friends. Like I got fired up just hearing the story. Like I I'm get I'm pacing around my kitchen like oh, wait a second. Give me the number. Give me the copy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dude, this is insane. And so I get fired I, I mean, that would just hearing the story they didn't shake your hand, you know, you see that's one reason I love hockey. No matter what happens, those dudes beat each other up out there. They get in fights. But guess what? They skate, they line up, and they shake hands after the game. They respect – you always respect your opponent Absolutely. in everything. 
And so that like, that super gripes me. I'm getting mad at him right now. Like if, if I'd been, I, I want to beat him. I want to beat him in this situation. Like take me, I want to play baseball right now. <laughs> that's, that's, that's crazy that, that somebody would have such disrespect or who raised it? Like, that's what the first thought is like, who raised these kids? You know, and I know it's not totally the parents' fault all the time, but like, what makes a whole basketball team do that? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, I mean, it was one of the hardest moments of my life. That's one of those moments that's really stuck with me. Cause I, I remember it from, you know, I scored like 10, 11 points that game. I had really good, had a really good game and was coming through lines and like not one person except for that coach. And not even my coach said anything, which my, I don't know if my coach really heard it. I, I don't know because yeah. I was in the middle of the line, you know. Uh, but I, do, I just know that, like, had someone said something to me, it wouldn't have hurt as bad. But it was the fact that, like, we get to the locker room, I sit down on a bench, I'm getting dressed, and it's like crickets in there. That's crazy. We just won a basketball game, and it's like crickets. So I knew they had heard, but nobody was saying anything. Is that some sort of mess? Like, I mean – does that message come out in your camp too about these experiences you've had like this? Because those kids are going to probably share, you know, human beings are kind of the same when it comes to this stuff. There's going to be moments similar to this that you can share with them and help them out in that situation too. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, every, every year at camp, I address the parents particularly. I stand up and I say, look, your kids are going to go through some of the hardest times that you ever could have thought. They're going to have their hearts broken they're gonna have they're gonna have their wills tested, and you have to stay firm with not giving them excuse and never letting them quit. Because once you let someone quit, quitting is the biggest addiction. It's bigger than drugs. You know, once you quit once, you're willing to quit anytime, anytime. And I mean, sometimes I use that when I go speak at schools. You know, I talk to kids. I'm like, like how many of you quit a Madden game? You know, like in the middle, just because you're getting your butt kicked. How many times have you quit that? And, like, you'll see kids, you know, I've quit millions of times. Like, exactly. And it all started with one time. You know, one time you quit, and then you were willing to quit for the rest of the time. Any time that it started going bad, whether you're in, like, your little career or something like that, and you're on that perfect record or whatever, and then all of a sudden, you know, team's beating you by 10 points. You got 30 seconds to go, no timeouts. You know, it's, you know, it's over. And you're like, oh, quit. Restart the game. <laughs> you know? It doesn't work that way. You can't restart life. Once you quit, you can't restart life. Dude, what if you had what if you had quit on my deathbed there? Think about that. What if you had quit and then uh knowability is never a thing? Exactly, man. That there would have been so many kids that missed out. I mean, uh, it's been having knowability and doing knowability has been the most rewarding thing in my life. I can't even begin to describe what it's like i mean at work probably on average from eight till six o'clock at night but sometimes it'll be like eight to twelve like during camp you know i was in the office until midnight um anywhere from 90 to 100 100 hours a week sometimes you know and i mean it's but it's a passion it's something i'm so passionate about because i see what it does for these kids i see the doors that it opens i see uh, the confidence that it brings them and the the self-acceptance. And what's crazy is, you know, among those 19, 20 kids that we've sent to college programs, the majority of them have come back as coaches. That's really, really great. 
Wow. So like just returning it. They want to pass that off. And, you know, I had one of the coolest things told to me by a girl uh, at at camp. It was actually a girl's mom. And she goes, she goes, um, my daughter has always wanted to be a rock star. She has wanted to be a rock star since the time she was a kid. She's always had a microphone, everything. But yesterday, after the first day of camp, in our car ride home, she said, Mom, I want to be a nobility coach when I grow up. <laughs> oh, dude, I mean, just... that, and I cried. I'm not even going to oh. lie. I was a big baby. I was like, that is, that is, that's what it's about. The fact that these kids who are being mentored by these athletes want to continue that mentorship and want to mentor the next level. That's how I know that nobility will never die because these kids are willing to give back. Yeah. Man, and this the powerful like impact. You say words can cut and then at the same time they can lift you so far up. Like if you hear that story, it it, it I mean it's lifting me up and it's not even I'm not I this is the first time I've talked to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> you think of like yeah. true inspirational speaking, it really sometimes comes from comments like that from others, you know, that outside the whole system and outside of, you know, you're not writing a speech there. That, that came from that kid's heart on the drive home. So, I mean, nothing's more uplifting than that. Nothing gets you, you riled up. (laughs) It has been, been insane. I mean, the amount of achievements that have happened through this camp, you know, the, the greatest thing for me is the fact that our nobility kids want to be coaches. They want to come back and give back because that tells me that we're doing it right, that we've got that mentality instilled in them and they want to pass it on. This is, It's great, man. Well, tell, tell everybody where they can find, like how they get a hold of you, how they can help out the organization, um, where to locate everything. Uh, I mean – Shoot, if there's like some high level coach that for some reason hears my podcast and wants to, you know, sign up or give, you know, give us or whatever it is, like tell people where they can find you. Um, they can learn more about the camp, more about you, the services, everything. Absolutely. So you can find uh, more information on the camps and on Nobility at www.nobility.org, um, Nobility Athletics on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, go follow us. Our Instagram is going crazy. Like I said, you know, my phone has just been vibrating the whole time. <laughs> I have no idea what's on the other end of that line. We'll approach that when it gets there. Uh, but then if you want to follow me, you know, you can follow uh, at Sam Kuhnert, uh, S-A-M-K-U-H-N-E-R-T, because you have to spell it out because nobody knows that. I, I, I didn't know how to say it, i got to be honest. I didn't know how to say your last name. The way, I, the way I usually tell people is think of raccoon and just add an E-R-T, and that's how you say it. Kuhnert? <laughs> Yep, Cooter. I almost sound like I'm insulting somebody when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I, didn't, I, I didn't mean to say I that. Where <laughs> the guys wouldn't even try. Like my my college debut, my college debut, which I had in Florida. Uh, they get on the announcer and they're like, like now pitching for the Greenville Panthers, Sam. And it just gets quiet for like five minutes, <laughs> and he, then he goes. Number thirty-one. <laughs> I'm like, not even give it an effort. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, man, there's so many ways you can go with that to mess it up that would not oh, be good. <laughs> there's been, there's been uh, some uh, bad words thrown out, you know. I mean, it's it, it circled around, man. It is circled around the wagon. Uh, uh, and I think you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Go to samcooter.com. Uh, all of my speaking fees at, at this time go back to Nubability to help uh, field scholarships for kids who can't afford our camps. Uh, that's just who I am, man. Every, everything, everything I am is about this camp and finding those kids to serve and doing whatever I can to provide those opportunities. If we don't have the money for the kids at the time, I'll go find it. Man, well, nobody, especially after talking to you, nobody deserves more success than you. Like, it's, it's crazy. And I mean that 100%. Like, nobody deserves more success. Nobody deserves this, like, you know, because you're just passing it on to the kids because they deserve it too, which I think is just amazing, man. You're doing awesome stuff, and I really appreciate you responding and getting back with me and doing this podcast, man. This has been a pleasure for me. It's awesome. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you reaching out and allowing me to share my story because you know, every time I get to share my story, hopefully it finds one more kid, and that's, you, and that's what it's about. You know what? My, my wife, she started this. Her, her passion is teaching like CrossFit kids, and she's really, she's into it. She's built a program up and worked on it, and it is truly her passion and to see how much she cares about teaching kids and then being involved in that, like just in that side, that little bit, you know, this beginning stages, it's been just – you know, it's like heartwarming. It's tough. It's challenging, but so rewarding. And I see that. And so your story really means like it's impactful to me. I know it's impactful to her. And that's why, you know, she follows your site and all that. So just thanks for everything, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. I can't wait to hear this and share it across the platforms. And I really appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, Sam.